This is Coda Radio, episode 200 for April 4th, 2016. And welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those shows as we go on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week now for 200 episodes. I don't know if you caught that earlier. Why, yes, it's Mike, our host on the East Coast, also known as Mr. Dominic. Yo, Mike! For 2,000 years, the vBasic developers have brought peace and prosperity to the game. Now they really have. For 2,000 years. Before hunt. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I was doing. Good reference. I need that on the soundboard. Stay a while and listen. Somebody in the chat room, go get me an MP3 of that before episode 200 is over, uh, before uh, we get out of here, because that'd be a good gift. He's a jackass. Hey, hey, who let... Don't turn his mic on yet. Yeah, President Obama is here to celebrate episode 200 with us. Excited about that. We have a, kind of an interesting theme for today's episode. We figured at this nice milestone, we should look ahead and maybe talk about something that may come up over the next 200 episodes of the Cody Radio program. Something that Mike is sort of hot to trot about. And yes, it's bots. Freaking bots. Like the J-Bot in our IRC. No, different kind, a different breed of bots. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about bots. We're going to talk about all kinds of things today, but that's one of our many topics. I did want to start with something that was kind of interesting, maybe a little devastating. A series of reports and surveys came out, Mike. And this this math might just make you cry. Get this. The mobile games industry is kept afloat by less than 1% of its total users. Free-to-play is preparing to swarm into virtual reality. There's already a bunch of games like that where there's going to be in-purchases and whatnot. Behavioral economics of free-to-play games, you know, like uh, ones that will go from... uh, This is really interesting. They have behavioral economics in games right now, and they're starting to develop where if if you start to do good, they'll make it harder, so you have to buy coins, and once you buy coins, they keep making it harder. Uh, which is interesting. So Swerve monetiz- has swerved in a monetiza- monetization report, easy for me to say. Hey, it's early in the morning for 2016 that studied uh, player uh, spend patterns. And Swerve is a mobile engagement marketing firm that has like metrics in a lot of these apps and works with these companies. 48% of all revenue from mobile gaming comes from 0.19% of users. Of that subset, 64% spend once a month. And mobile gaming still managed to generate around $10 billion. 1.9% of players in February paid up from 1.5% in 2014, so it's up slightly from 1.5 to 1.9. Average spend per player is 24.33, which is up from 22 last year. And typical player makes 1.8 purchases, averaging $13.82 per purchase. And they make... 1.8 of those purchases, which is kind of funny. They looked at 40 free-to-play titles and analyzed 20 million players' behavioral patterns. 1% of users, Mike. That is that is an amazing, an amazing insight into how... <laughs> which should occupy the App Store. Mm-hmm. 
which is why you're seeing so many games now. Like uh, my kids love. There's a game. It's a, it's an Adventure Time game called uh, Ski Safari, and it's just a it's an endless scroller where you're you're skiing down a mountain as one of the Adventure Time characters. And you, you get coins as you play, and then you use the coins to unlock levels and characters and costumes and booths, and they love it. They love it. They think it's the greatest thing, and you can just collect the coins in-game, or you can buy a bag of coins, or you can double your coins, or you can, you know, all these little things that cost real currency. They love it. You know, it's funny, because I've been playing one of those sniper games on iPad, and I started getting good, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, you need a better gun to mm-hmm. the next area. I was like, "Oh, and the gun is four thousand Yeah, points, I played a Star like Trek. I played a Star Trek match the gems game where you match up the gems, and then as soon as you start getting it, and then it starts saying, "By the way, you could upgrade your weapons if these uh, opponents are kicking your butt. You could just start upgrading your weapons." It starts. He starts implying, "Go buy some gear," and that's pretty much what you have to do. Aww. Yes, yes, yes. So, anyways, we are here to talk about much bigger, longer term things, but it and I, but it is in the shadow of perhaps those numbers that. The dark shadow, perhaps. The dark shadow, you may say, of those numbers that our next topic uh, may find its relevancy and may be the light at the end of the tunnel of that dark shadow. Perhaps not, but we'll talk about it. Mike's all hot about it. And I, I do find – I got to admit, fascinating. And it's, there's big money being made right now for some companies. First, I'm going to tell you about Linux Academy where you can go make something for yourself, an education around a platform that is going to succeed for the long term. Everybody admits it. Linux has won and the technology stack around Linux is what you need to know to be competitive in the industry. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Go there. Visit it and support this show. Go tour their features. 2,359 self-paced courses. Downloadable comprehensive study guides. You listen to it in the shower. You read it. When it's a printout, you kill some trees, but don't do that. And they even have a nice, shiny-looking iOS app with an Android app in development. Scenario-based labs put you in the middle of common day tasks. Instructor mentoring is available. Oh, did you know that instructor mentoring is available? Oh, hey, by the way, instructor mentoring is available. That's a big deal. I want to mention it a couple of times because I think it's a game changer. And it's, it's, such a better, it's such a better system because you have people that actually care about these technologies that are working with Linux Academy. I mean, that's why Linux Academy was founded. That's the origin of the platform. They have graded server exercises. They have really nice availability planners that are very – they sort of take the guilt off. Like you know you need to be making progress, but life is busy. You go in there and you tell it, I have this much time on this day, this much time on that day, et cetera, et cetera. It automatically generates courseware for you. You can, can create reminders when you need to do a little bit of reading or you can help generate quizzes to see how you've been doing. I mean it's a system that really works with you. You can read more about it too when you go to Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash coders. To support the show, go check out their nuggets and deep dives, two to 60 minutes long, just into a single topic. Practice exams, detailed notes, enhanced learning plans. These are really cool. Part of what I'm talking about. Just part of what I'm talking about. It's a really nice system at Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. It's a great platform for you guys to learn more about any of the technologies that run on Linux. Really. OpenStack, Python, PHP, Android development, Ruby, DevOps, the Red Hat certified courseware. And, of course, even the Amazon Web Services. That is a platform that is growing like crazy right now for Linux Academy, and you might want to go check out why. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders and a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring episode 200 of the Coder Radio program. So Slack is making some money monies. They just completed a new funding at a $3.8 billion valuation. And everybody knows why it's the bots, stupid. Now, some people are saying Slack's going to become an identity platform for the enterprise. 
But really what people are saying is mobile is dead. Bots are the new gold rush. And Slack is sitting pretty. It amazes me that a company that is essentially – I mean I'm not trying to diminish Slack. I find it to be a useful tool. But I mean, man, I've had Skype chats and IRCs for a long time, and they essentially accomplish what uh, Slack can do. It does way more than that. And when you integrate bots, it can be even more useful. But nothing, yeah. nothing totally, absolutely revolutionary is happening here yet. A lot it's of gotta, excitement. It's got to suck to be hip chat. That's all I got to say. Yeah, you yeah. were there years ago, and yeah. So Slack is hot on this whole bot thing, and Microsoft seems to be pretty Slack too. Uh, or Slack too. Uh, Microsoft seems to be pretty hot. Everybody's hot, including Mike. Mike writes, "I am so hot on this." Dev.frameworks.com, botframeworks.com from Microsoft. Nice job, Microsoft. He writes, and you go over there to dev.botframework.com, and you get Microsoft's like starting landing page for building your own bot, create, bringing your own bot to the party, integrating bots. What the hell? What the hell is all of this, Mike? What? What's going on here? You could. It's the it's the beginning of the end. Now, are, so these are they're creating like a bot marketplace. They're creating what, Mike? What? Yeah. So the, I mean, the marketplace isn't super interesting to me, but they have written a C sharp bot framework, which is like a bot DK. Is what I did there. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny. The bots can integrate with Skype, which really who gives a rat's ass. Um, they can integrate with SMS. Useful. They can do voice. Useful. Natural language processing, useful. No, that is. And Slack integration, probably useful. Okay, I okay, I can see now. I can see a bot for natural voice detection. Okay, yeah. now you've got my attention. Although now that I think about it, if I could route my phone calls through Skype and have the bot answer the phone, that would probably be useful. But you see, you see where I'm going with this, mm. right? It is now. This is kind of like next level crap, right? Because who knows what you could do with this bot framework? Maybe it's terrible, but hmm. I love it. So it's about integrating these bots into your existing application. So essentially what they are kind of pitching here is bots that are in all kinds of applications. This bot is in Slack. This bot is in Skype. This bot is in your Cortana implementation. Um that's kind of an interesting idea. So instead of having to create this functionality for each separate application, you just have a right. bot that is able to plug into each application. Yeah, I, I think there's, you know, there's the obvious little "Hey, go get order me a pizza bot" that they advertise running the site. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, or, or go search for an image on Bing Image Search or something like that. Yeah, yeah no, no one's going to. I, I really think this is a low barrier to entry for your everyday developer. To one and play around with uh, Microsoft's pretty powerful natural language processing stuff. I definitely think audio is going to be the next interface, and this seems like a very nascent, early way to get into it. Right? To add a uh, now, now, I'm trying not to hype up too much, but to add a almost AI layer to your software. So, really, what this is? I mean, so uh, a, a bot. So back in the day, like, uh, you know, when I think of a bot, I think of an IRC bot that you issue a command to and it does a thing. Or uh, like JBot in our chat room, when you paste a link to something on the web, it goes and gets the title of the page so that way people have an idea what they're about to click so they can choose whether they want to click a link in an IRC or not. That's something the bot does for us. Or when people do bang suggest, which none of them are doing right now, to suggest huh. a title, 
you know, JBot's the one that grabs that and, and then sends it off to the, t- to the title voting page. So we essentially have a we, – we, we take advantage here at JB of a bot already. So it's not totally new for us. Now, somebody just linked in the chat room. There is a GitHub project for like a full-on digital uh, assistant bot. Yes. Yep, written in Go. Yep. There is something to this because uh, if you – uh, if you could imagine uh, being able to interface with the same bot in Slack, in Skype, and in, like, say, Telegram, which Telegram is also very open to bot integration. Mm-hmm. They, say, say, they say they will be. Um, there is well, something. The bot becomes omnipresent in a way. It's, like, available to you in your different spots, and, and it, that's what makes it a bot, I guess, in a way, right? Is this – I mean, what well, makes me, it let, a bot versus a really advanced script? What's, I, what's so the difference? Let, let me hit you with uh, – it's something I'm actually like specking out and working on for my own use. Okay. There is a common case where I deploy builds to people via hockey app. Okay. And sometimes people apps will crash, right? Mm-hmm. One one manual process that in the past I've had to do or have had to literally pay people to do is call and be like, Oh, we're aware of that, don't worry, because you know, clients are very finicky. <laughs> and sometimes you know, you know this better than me, or as well as me. The mental state of the client can often distort the facts on the ground, right? Sure. I.e., if the clients are already unhappy, everything they see is going to be terrible, and it's sure. hard to happy. And a lot of the times, the difference between unhappy and happy is did they get a phone call or an email? Well, I can tie hockey into Slack. Why can't I then write a bot that watches Slack, watches that kind of thing, and says, "Oh, uh, you know, AB the Jupiter Broadcast." casting demo app that we just sent them crashed on them and have the bot quickly write an email out to the client saying, hey, and, and actually act like a person, right? I'm going to call her Gretel. So, hey, this is Gretel for Buccaneer. Just want to follow up with you and say, we saw that. We're working on it. You know, we'll get back to you with more. That will save me an entire manual process. And what makes it not just a really sweet Python script is the fact that there are integration endpoints by all these different services to yep. enable it? Well, what makes it not a sweet Python script is really the way you look at it, right? Like, in my vision for this, I'm going to actually program it as though it were a person, right? A member of the team. And hopefully build on it more and more. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a big part of how you conceptualize the project. Right. I mean, I, I'm writing up a spec for it now. I drew a little robot face with blonde pigtails. Aww. Like, I'm envisioning this be, being like a, you know, a sophomore in high school girl who's doing an internship for me. Like, that, that's, that's literally – so to directly answer your question, I think that some level of um, personification is the difference. Okay. Yeah, well, which brings me to which was sort of their big flop, right? Um, that was sort of – that didn't go very well. And that's why I'm kind of, I mean, it's sort of funny that all this is coming up right after, uh, you know, Tay-Tay lasted a day. Well, right. So Tay was a, I, I wrote a, uh, a post on that at DominicM.com. Go subscribe. Uh, Tay-Tay is terrible, and I love her. She was so easily manipulated. Like, what were they thinking was going to happen here? And then, and then, well, and, and uh, then they want to get in the bot marketplace. First like, of all, you really don't want a command that says repeat after me on Twitter. No. <laughs> Why do you have that? Um, if you don't know, Tay was their little Twitter AI bot that basically went all. Should we just say it? Like it, it literally was quoting Hitler at one point. Yeah, and it yeah. was calling it was calling uh, people daddy and propositioning them to uh, yeah. do things to it. It told one lady to get back in the kitchen. It was, it was really really awesome. Yeah. Um, 
I will say, though, and I actually did write a post about it, the technology behind today is very impressive. The problem was the internet is just terrible. The problem is the bot was stupid. It was a dumb bot. It was dumb. It was dumb. And they didn't think of the fact that that was going to happen, which is kind of funny to me. Well, see, I... The problem is I had two interactions with her before they pulled her down. One was I asked her a question. She said, oh, that's great. I know French pe- other French people. I'm like, dude, I'm not French. It says on my Twitter profile that I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> so I know. Like, yeah, there were basic facts that I would have thought that the, the interface for, for Tay would have pulled in on my profile. And then but, also I know you said pers- how you personify it is – and maybe this explains it because I was actually struggling with this. Why did they make it a teenage girl? Why – who I not assume – Not a great place for the internet, right. Why, like, why, not, what, and it, what creeps yeah. me out about it is I assume predominantly a group dominated by white men decided that they were going to develop something that represented a teenage – a young teenage girl. Uh, why is that what a, a group of white men are creating? I just, right, do, you, do you want to know why I'm making Gretel female? I can tell you why. I don't really have a problem with the sex so much. It is is like it's an underage girl that they're putting on Twitter well, to talk to people. It's weird that they made her underage. Yeah. Well, right. Like, all right. Why is Siri female? Why – if you were going to do like a customer service bot. I've read uh, statistics that uh, uh, for navigation units – uh, that people find it uh, uh, maybe more. I actually I've read actually conflicting reports on that now that I think about. There's it. There's the one with, from the Air Force, right, where the pilots are actually more likely to listen to a woman's voice. Right, that was the, that's one of them. And then there was also one though where people listening to navigation prompts got more frustrated. <laughs> so there's also one that says people tend to be less hostile to young women. So for the purposes oh. of a customer service bot, right, I'm somewhat betting that a female persona will get a more soft response. Now, I could be wrong. I could be projecting my own cultural, you know, Italian, white, male kind of whatever. Do you know if the, the other bot they have running in the other market, do you know, is it also a teenage girl? Yes. The, uh, the, the, I believe it's Chinese, but it's definitely Asian of some, some ilk. Uh, is it, someone can confirm, is it actually China or not? Is a young girl. It's a okay. girl. In fact, I think it's younger than Tay. Because I think Tay was supposed to be like 16. Oh, okay. I think, I think the Asian one's like ten, dude. Yeah, yeah, but not. And but the Asian. internet. But see, the thing is, is our culture. No, well, I yeah, mean, you could you could blame our culture, but you could also just say that people on Twitter in the United States are savvy and know that that's not a real person. That's some marketing. I mean, I saw some of the stuff they were sending the bot. People on Twitter are. Fucking yeah, of course nuts. they. Yeah, it was it was gross. It was disgusting. I understand. Because right, like you know, there, there's some personal responsibility on all sides here, right? So you don't feel like this is hype. You think the, the potential for the bot marketplace, as it were, is – You know, I'm disappointed. I would have liked people to take it easy and I, I would have loved to see Tay stay up and people try to – like I tried to have a conversation with her, right? I tried to be like, hey, Tay, how are you? Great to meet you. How are you enjoying Twitter? And she responds, oh, you're not the first French person I met today. Oh, my gosh. It was an abysmal failure. <laughs> but like – Fine, right? Like, you know, I understand it's super alpha, super dev mode. And yeah. I'm, I'm not even like, I know you're being very critical, but I wish that the internet in general, the people who are interested enough in AI and machine learning to try it, hadn't just decided to turn her into mini Hitler. Right? People want to watch the world burn, dude. But really, like, it would have been great to try to actually be productive and get usable bug reports. We've had people that come in our chat room and they try to break JBot. Just for no, and it's like the JBot's here just to help people know when shows are coming up and take like it's here as a helpful tool for the community, and people 
you know. But the other side of this, I'm thinking, great. So someone turned Tay into Little Hitler. You know, someone right now is working on the Little Hitler bot, right? Like, yeah, straight up going to go on Twitter. You know, I wish I, I wish I had a microphone I could shove in front of Rikai's face right now because he and I have, you know, now that you talk about this bot thing, he and I have talked about. I actually think JBot could run most of the back end of this network. If you think about it, because we start and oh, end shows. No, I mean, Rikai would be the one to orchestrate it all. You would start – when you start a show, JBot – when I start a show in the command in the chat room, is a, I do start underscore show and I say the name of a show. That's in the IRC. I, I start that because I, I – because JBot recognizes me and I'm registered. Uh, it starts the title suggestions for the show. The, 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 the voting is opened and then I end the show and it ends the voting and the title suggestions. Well, if JBot knows when a show ends and begins, JBot could be tweeting when shows go live. JBot could be initiating file transfers when I end a show. Uh, JBot also could be handling RSS feed updates. I mean, there's a lot of things that JBot could actually do. Uh, it's fairly fascinating when you look at, and it's for some reason it does feel different with a bot than it would just a regular Python script. Uh, and I think part of it is because there's more of a conversational approach to it. I read recently that uh, different chat apps like WhatsApp and others are integrating bots for customer service. So instead of people having to call like 1-800-FIX-MY-ISP, and this isn't really happening in the States, but outside of the States, some of them are just, you can just do it through your chat program and you're responding to a bot, but the bot can help you troubleshoot different things. And, you know, the early days, I'm sure I would, I probably would find it frustrating, but eventually it's going to get somewhere. And Facebook is going to work. You can imagine Facebook working with this in different ways too and with the Facebook Messenger platform. There is – because you can do it in conversational formats, it, it actually seems to be very approachable by a lot of users. Well, let me give you a common use case that I uh, definitely have had a lot in the past. Uh, you would like to get a build for me through hockey. You're an iOS user. You didn't register your device on hockey. Therefore, I can't send you a build. I could totally see an automated flow with this bot where, oh, thank you, sir. Let me check. You know, have her wait a couple seconds, make the API call check. And then, oh, you don't appear to have a registered device. You know, if you open this link on your phone and click yes, it will register your device. That entire customer service interaction, that time is money, becomes quote unquote free. Well, and like troubleshooting. So what if, what if JBot of the future could actually walk people through setting up their mumble connection? So you could so you go you do bang mumble right now and it tells you this is the mumble server. You have to be in the chat room to do that. Sure, That's something sure. JBot does for people that are in our IRC. They can then know how to get in our mumble room. But what if instead when you did bang mumble, it would say, Here's our mumble server, do you have mumble already downloaded? Yes or no. And if you say yes, it would just stop right there. But if you said no, it'd say, okay, here's the download link for Windows, Linux, and Mac. And then once you download it, say, okay, here's the st- setup steps for this application. It could just walk you through it. Make sure you have your audio set to this. Make sure push to talk is turned on. And because it is it is step-by-step in real time, it's not necessarily tedious, but it's also not information overload. And it doesn't give you everything for every scenario. It just gives you the inf- instructions for your specific scenario. That can be pretty powerful from like a customer service standpoint I th- I think and answer common questions. And I think this kind of framework, and, and again, I'm not trying to be a Microsoft shill, right? Maybe when I dig into this, it turns out that their framework sucks. Who knows? I'm impressed so far, but it's literally been one half of one weekend. Um, True. I think this will, at the minimum, allow smarter, in quotes, customer service bots like you see on Dell.com because they're functionally insane on Dell. I, I actually do feel like, though, this has good, decent momentum because um, – how sl- so slack basically slack was basically a a a a new look at irc right sure. and bots 
VODs are just as relevant in that new envisioning of IRC than they ever were. And if we have – we're not the only podcast community that has a bot like this. There's several other podcast communities that have bots like this in their chat room some too. Some of them written foolishly in Node.js. <laughs> yeah, and some of them uh, that were uh, you know forks of JBot. Uh, because it's no, it's okay. It's open source. It's it's cool. Because you know, I mean, really. Then I go check out their stuff. Oh, that's a good idea. That's interesting. It's really uh, you know, neat. It's, so you mentioned the open source thing. Can I derail you, hippie? <laughs> uh, when I, that just comes out sometimes, Chris. It doesn't. Like, oh. Negative in the freedom <laughs> dimension. So, so I'm te- I'm tempted to try to make Gretel open source. Um, I'm I, a hippie. Sir. Hey man. Hey, what? <laughs> I have two concerns about this. One, since this is a new technology and I'm likely to make a lot of mistakes, is there do open source people feel embarrassed when their code sucks? Like does that hurt you in any way? Well, I mean, it, it actually I think I think from an ego standpoint, yes, but Okay. What are going to be some of the easiest code contributions, right? The easiest fruit, low-hanging fruit is going to be people that could help you just clean that up. So it's a, probably a good way to also get people to start actively participating because it's stuff that seems approachable. I think the biggest problem that large open source projects have is all of the approachable stuff is all gone. Well, for, you know, for me, this is going to be really like the first ever like pseudo R&D-ish type project I'll be going – I'll be doing, right? Um and not not to suggest that like doing this depends on like you know I'm not I'm not saying I'm doing hard first level research I'm just saying this is a brand new toolkit the bot toolkit for Microsoft is actively evolving right does I guess I'm asking do you envision any scenario where, where you know I'm trying to pick five years in the future or whatever I'm trying to get a job or trying to get a contract and someone says oh wow you're a you're C sharp bot I mean it works but what the fuck, man? That's all messed up. I don't think so because I think anybody who's actually experienced in the industry knows that you're always improving. It, you know, having seen people, uh, if anything, I, I actually think it has helped because it sort of builds a history at least, like a provable history. Yeah, I'm tempted to think that it would be a, a positive thing, right? Because you can always reject pull requests if it's not the direction you want to go in and they right. can it. That, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Um, Plus, if you do have a few contributors, then it also demonstrates the ability to work in a group or manage. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, I, I mean, we have found like yet. we have found with JBot, it's it's. Uh, I don't know if uh, Rikai accepts every patch or whatever, but it's it's useful to have it open source. And I mean, we we forked it from something long ago, and it's been forked many times, and we've refactored many parts of it, and it's all still very useful. And be uh, speaking of functionality, it like I said, it is open source. Uh, we would love con- contributors if you want to join the IRC and ask Rikai. Um, All right. Yeah, I mean, it's something I'm considering. I, I would encourage anyone, especially if you're already in the .NET space and you have some C-sharp experience, check this bot SDK out. One thing, it is a domain-specific language. Bot.framework.com. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, yeah, and we'll have a link to uh, their stuff in the show notes. And, Rikai, maybe you could drop a link to JBot. Uh, the best place for people to help out maybe, with JBot. Maybe I'll make JBot's evil brother. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, to the chat room. R-Bot. Or I don't know. What's this? I don't... No, it'll be MS-Bot. 
<laughs> Billbot. Call it Billbot. <laughs> and you know where that bot could run? I mean, unless it's Billbot. You could run it over on a DigitalOcean droplet. And you could use our promo code CODER Digital to get yourself a $10 credit and support this show. Episode 200 of the Coder Radio program is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Go to DigitalOcean and use that promo code CODER Digital. You can get started in less than 55 seconds to have your own powerful rig. Up in the cloud, forty gigabit e connections to the data to the to the hypervisors. The data centers have tier one bandwidth. Uh, they got they got they got them servers up in all of them places like New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany. Uh, and you know the data center in Germany is really really well positioned to provide to the entire region, which is really really strategic, strategically well placed. Not easy for me to say, but it was a smart move for them. They have a great interface to manage all of this to set up a machine like just a basic machine. Nothing but just a base machine or to deploy with an entire application stack ready to go. HTML5 console so you can manage it from whatever device you're working on. And they have the best community documentation out there. ArchWiki, I'm looking at you. And they have a fantastic API for you to build around. Go try them out with that intuitive control panel and our promo code, Coder Digital. That'll give you the $10 credit. Try them out two months for free. Coder Digital. It's one word. It's magic. And it tells them you heard about it here. An incredible infrastructure, great rigs, Ubuntu, Debian, FreeBSD, Fedora, CentOS, and CoreOS. You can deploy multiple machines at once, manage the SSH keys right from their sweet interface, take care of the DNS, and set up private networking and backups in no time. It is slick and simple to use. DigitalOcean.com. Just use that promo code, Coder Digital. It's one word in lowercase, my friends, over at DigitalOcean.com. And a big thank you. To DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coda Radio program for episode 200. I got to say it every time. Episode 200 of the Coda Radio program. Thanks, you guys. That is really cool. All right. Any more bot shenanigans you want to talk about? You ready to get the feedbacks? Tell me where you're at, Mr. Uh, Dominic. Let, let's let's get it to uh, let's get it to the feedbacks. All right. So uh, anonymous writes in with no description because it was copy and pasted from a different system than we normally do. When you discussed the Stack Overflow developer survey, it seemed to me that the the better is worse mentality has completely taken over with JavaScript dominating practically in every category. But when you guys got to the most loved section, the top spots were taken by Rust and Swift. Mike then remarked that while he now accepted the reality of it, he still doesn't really think Swift as being a significantly better language than Objective-C. As someone who did my thesis on modern language design, I have a much different perspective on this. Here you go, Mike. The first language in the most loved category was Rust. Now, Mike often talks about some of the technologies being just hype, not really all that different than the old tech. Well, I've spent over a year with Rust, and I can tell you that this project is doing the really hard research and actually doing something important. The technical details are too delicate to get into here, but let's just paint a picture here. If Rust was the implementation language of OpenSSLs, things like Heartbleed would not have happened. I would say that complete, or I'm sorry, I would say that compile time safety without any runtime overhead in a system development domain is what our future infrastructure needs. You don't want your self-driving car to segfault, right? Swift is, of course, much more higher level than Rust, but it also promotes some of the same good engineering principles that Rust does, not only with regards to safety, but also with things like immutable building being the default which is a huge win for safety and concurrency. Protocols usable as functional trait replacements and pattern matching guards, toops, I don't know, I'm sure if I'm saying that one right, <laughs> and lazy evaluation. <laughs> I don't think it's toops. I think it's maybe topals. I'm not sure. Uh, also operational types. Uh, and having no nulls elsewhere is a huge in 
well, in, in on itself. Uh, these things that we in the academic world have been pushing the industry towards for decades now, uh, the Haskell approach is starting to invade in the more mainstream languages. And the fact that these made the top two spots means the developers actually care about good design. They just need the tools, which is great to know. Hmm. You want, what do you think about that statement right there? Well, my petard, I've been hoisted. That, I mean, I could go on. He has two more paragraphs, but well, really short ones, but maybe I'll yeah, let it finish. But I think that part right there is interesting. The developers love it so much they're just yeah. waiting for the right tools. But he says, the things, uh, the, thing, uh, the things and the fact that Swift is actually improving with the community all make it a great language, much more so than Objective-C ever was. I mean, there are probably proposals to have higher, kinder types, but... Uh, so yeah. stuff like I, I would actually go on and finish the last two paragraphs. Okay, he says, I think why you, why, think why you Mike, see every, very little benefit to Swift is because you are essentially doing Objective-C in Swift. Uh, the same as you were doing uh, OO in Scala. This is the absolute worst way to do this. I would recommend that you read Functional Swift, and he links you to it right here, and try to develop your code much more in that style, keeping classes, mutability, and all of that to a minimum. Give it a serious read. Try it. And if you still think the same... Well, I don't think you will. Dot, 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 dot. And he Fair. fades off into the sunset. You know, uh, interesting, multiple interesting points. Who says you're swifting it wrong is, is uh, point number two. And point number one is everybody would be using Rust if we had the right tools. Well, something kind of close to that. So I will take his swift challenge. <laughs> How are you going to do that when your head's all in on Zamarian and bots right now? I know. It's really – Xamarin. I'm, Xamarin. I'm going to buy that book and read it. One day you'll pronounce Xamarin correctly. Mm. Eh, probably not. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. So this this is a, a problem, right? One, he could be right. I have been told this by many people that I'm just old and crotchety and my love for Objective-C is unnatural and wrong. Hmm. Well, okay. I, I, I would accept that you could say maybe something is established and that you have an established workflow around it. And that it has to take a good case to move away from it and that when you try something new, you're going to be looking at it in the lens of something that is, you know, your normal workflow. That seems pretty, yep. that seems pretty normal to me, really. I wonder, though, if there isn't some sort of method in this madness, right? I find it hard to say, but maybe, 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 maybe there's a point to say that. My long years of Objective-C make me look at everything as though it was an Objective-C problem, right? Having said that, why can't we use Objective-C for everything? Like, really? You know, everything. Yeah, you know, I mean, really, why not just stroke it? Just get it out there. What? No. Is Objective-C not the one language? No, did you not? I think you missed the point of the email. It's Rust. Mike. Uh, yes, it's Rust. I, <laughs> not only am I wrong, but uh, it's Rust. You know, there is. Some, I'm serious. There's a, there. I don't know if I actually could, but I, I'm hoping somebody goes to the Rust event at Linux Fest Northwest and reports back because there's going to be a good Rust talk there. And I'm really tempted, although I'm sure I'll be on air, so I won't be able to make it. But I feel like there is one consistent thread throughout this show is that people write in and they gush about Rust. You know, the people who do Rust really like it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and they, you know, and and they almost always write basically what this guy said um in different in different ways. And so it there's really there's really something to it. Uh, I just, you know, who ha- who has the time, I suppose. I, my point is I'm not trying to defend it, but what I'm trying to say is you have an established workflow and you're 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 a business in motion. 
So well, the... but, I, but I would say that there's another argument to be made here, um, even beyond you know the technical correctness of Swift, right? Which which okay. is the argument he's making. The world is moving on, right? The uh, Apple ecosystem is moving on from Objective C. Slowly, but yeah, slowly, but mm. more aggressively now. Mm. I mean, really more aggressively now. Um, you know, I have. You're not hearing about too many new projects in Objective C anymore. So. One, I have been doing some Swift, and, and, I, and there is some truth in that my Swift is very Objective-C-esque, right? Um, I would argue that Coco itself is very Objective-C-esque, is, is very object-oriented in its nature. So sure, you can probably write functional Coco, and that's why I'm, I'm literally going to pick up the book he suggests and read it. But I, I'm kind of sitting here waiting for the other shoe to drop of some sort of big forking or change in Cocoa itself, in particular in UI kit, to make it less OO. Hmm. We'll see. Um, so, you know, I got an idea. I just, I wanted to pitch something to you. I think it's a business we could do. So we've been here for 200 episodes, right? And it, come, it comes time now to maybe consider a revenue stream that's really going to change the game for us. And uh, I think we could pull it together. Maybe we could bring in some of the audience members and really get quite the racket going. Uh, because I don't know if you saw this, but you know the the TSA uses iPads to determine who they're going to screen. Uh, have you ever noticed this when you're flying? They have yes, iPads. Yes, yes, they strip me every time. It's fun. One point four million dollars is how much the TSA randomizer app costs. That's how much what? it costs for them to randomize it. How yep. did I not get a Guess who they paid that check to? Guess who got that check? Can you do you have any guesses? I'll tell you what. They're a friend of our of our uh, of our of our folks behind Swift. They're friends. Of the folks behind Swift. Oh, are they international business machines? Yes, yes. IBM got that iPad. So IBM wrote the iPad app. Uh, now, that gives us some interesting insights in some of their more recent deals with Apple because obviously that was probably – I'm sure they created that app ages ago. So it was before the, the recent IBM Swift Love Fest and uh, IBM Cloud enabling Swift stuff, right? This is – this yeah. probably indicates why though – why, though, they are inclined to set up a partnership with Apple, which makes me believe that perhaps it was IBM that came to Apple. You know, so IBM is Apple's consulting shop of choice, then, basically. Look at that. Yeah. Wow, they had to get a, fi- uh, a freedom of information request uh, to get that. <laughs> and it, it took eight months, and then it came back, and uh, <laughs> $1.4 million. See, we're in the wrong business, is what I'm saying. So we just got to figure out the next big scam, and then... Uh, and then uh, I don't know. I got nothing. Maybe it could. Maybe a bot. Maybe it's a bot. What do you think, Mike? You think the next one's going to be a bot? I think it's a bot. Then eventually, bots will replace us podcasters. And then what are we going to do? You know what we could use a bot for? JupiterBroadcasting.com slash contact, where people go to submit their <laughs> feedback to the Coda Radio program. After 200 episodes, I can say that from time to time we like to read your emails. I don't know if you've noticed that. We've been doing that pretty we consistently. We occasionally read your emails. We've also got a subreddit, coderadio.reddit.com, where you can go to submit additional topics or story ideas or give feedback for each individual episode. You know, as we record this right now – well, I mean, as we record this right now, it's, it's a week ahead of time because Mike and I got together to do an extra recording session because – I am on spring break for the first time ever. Well, my Whoa. kids are. My, you know, because my kids, my my son is in school and they have spring break, and I'm taking them on a road trip. Taking all the kids on a road trip for spring break, so I will be on the road when this episode is published, uh, which is pretty exciting. Um, and coming up soon, you may have to take some time too. So we're working on an extra yeah. special episode because uh, Mike may have a. 
probably, Mike, what you are going to discover is one of the most disruptive events in your life where the four or five days around childbirth, at least in my experience, every time, <clears throat> get compressed into one day. Uh, or at least three days get compressed into one day. It is the weirdest phenomenon you've ever experienced. Uh, so this is a tumultuous time, especially for the first time. So, it's going uh, to be crazy. Yeah. Wow. But, uh, l- l- let's just remind the audience to pick up the Got Linux t-shirt because you have seven hours left. But by the time you hear this, you right. won't. That's ah, the thing. Ah, ah. They, can, they can probably still order it, though, if enough people did it at teespring.com slash here's the thing. Let's do it. Yeah. yeah. So that's, you know, that's kind of a pretty amazing milestone. 200 episodes in and, pr- and now any day now. You're going to become a father. I know, and of a little vBasic developer. <laughs> no, come on. It's going to be a Xamarin developer. You know it. Come on. It's going to be the whole platform of tools running on the little, the little uh, like by the time the little, uh, little tyke is like two or three years old, you'll ham down the iPad Pro. Here, I don't want this piece of junk anymore. Huh. And they'll have Xamarin Studio for the iPad. You watch. That's my prediction. Uh, That's my episode 200 prediction right there. We'll see. We'll see. Put it in the red book. Xamarin Studio for the iPad. <laughs> All right, Mr. Dominic, is there anything else we need to cover before we get out of here? Nope. Let's do it. All right. Well, I'll just say I hope everybody, if they're having any kind of spring break, I hope they're enjoying it. I don't know what that means exactly, but just take it as a kind sentiment, I guess. You know what I really would love? Your feedback. I already told you where to do it. Also, your topics. Love those. And join us. Over at the live stream at jblive.tv, you can find out when we're live at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Did you know we were going to record a double? You would have if you could have checked the calendar. Would have, could have checked the calendar at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Go follow Mr. Dominic. He's online at Dumanuco or at the Buccaneer Tech or Buccaneer IO. I can never keep it straight anymore. But we'll have links out there for you. You can follow him on the Twitters and get all his shenanigans too. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Coda Radio, and we'll see you right back here next week.